Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Iqbal, how are you? UK? How are you today? You okay? I'm very well, thank you. Alhamdulillah, yes. How are you? Alhamdulillah, I can't complain. Alhamdulillah. Okay, bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillah, ala alamin wa salatu wa salam ala nabil kareem wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in. Jazakal khair for having us or being part of the show, this podcast or the show, inshallah ta'ala, about transforming your prayer. And without further ado, inshallah, before I get into the questions, I thought, you know, it would be really good to get your thoughts on um, what Transform Your Prayer is all about as a project and, and what kind of, what, what is the vision behind behind it, inshallah ta'ala. Sure. Okay, bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Um, so, so, yeah, so Transform My Prayer is a project, I suppose, I started formally just over a year ago now, so it's the end of, towards the end of 2019. Um, and it was, uh, you know, I think emerged after several years of, um, I suppose, thought thought and concern for, uh, the way in which we pray and the way in which uh, prayer is taught. Uh, so mm-hmm. Salah is obviously like, you know, it goes without saying, it's uh, super foundational, critical, central, uh, you know, so it's so important. Um, and uh, based on statistics that I had uh, seen and, and my experience since, uh, you know, since I started and teaching this thing, um, you know, most Muslims, I mean, more than 50% of the Muslims you know, well, at least I could speak for the UK, at least in my experience, mm-hmm. um, don't pray on time five times a day, like regularly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So at least at least 50 percent. So that's one uh, one sort of issue. The other issue is that whether we pray regularly or don't, um, uh, concentration, focus, uh, you know, Salah being an, a sort of a meaningful experience uh, mm-hmm. is still evades a lot of us, basically. So I, you know, something I've given thought to, obviously on a personal level, uh, and um, just yeah, just an, an issue of concern uh, that uh, you know that has been developing over the years, I suppose. And then I thought, well, look, I'm gonna. Um, I always used to over the years, you know, encourage any time I had any interaction with any scholars or imams or whatever, I would always, you know, try to raise the issue and sort of encourage them to maybe give more focus to this because I just felt it's a very unaddressed issue as well. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, there's content out there, there's bits of things, but nothing necessarily. Mm-hmm really structured that takes you through like actually what people's common problems are when it comes to concentration like why can't they concentrate why can't they focus why do they keep doing things in their prayer that actually doesn't you know it basically just not normal right or doesn't really make any yeah. sense like rationally when you analyze it, it's like what, what have i been doing you know all these years um so yeah so 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 eventually i uh, i just felt look i'm gonna do something about this uh, myself basically um and it does complement for me personally it does complement my work at the National Zakat Foundation, where I'm still the CEO and have been for, uh, well, nine years now. Um, you know, just as Allah uh, constantly uh, encourages us, reminds us about Salah and Zakat, I yeah, suppose absolutely. I've made my sort of uh, mission most of the time that I spent, most of the things I spend my time on, Salah and Zakat, right? So I've tried to align, I suppose, myself to that in a way and hopefully um, bring some benefit. Uh, well, you know, as far as these I think that's really things. interesting, actually, that, when you mentioned that you work for Nasr Zakat and then you started this, I was like, oh, Zakat and Salat, always in the Quran yeah. together. I'm going, I'm going backwards, I suppose, but uh, <laughs> still trying to yeah, bring them together. Yeah. Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. I was going to ask you actually one question before we go to the questions from the students. Is that sure. why do you think it is a problem in the first place? You, you mentioned you used to speak to the imams. You used to speak to the scholarly people about this as an issue. They should, or people should, you know, make this more of an issue. But why is this, why do you reckon, or what is the, causes of these well it's interesting right so um 
I mean, Allah answers that question, really, I think, uh, in uh, in Surah Al-A'la, which is one of the common uh, chapters of the Quran that we recite, that begins, Sabihis Marabika Al-A'la. So at the end of the chapter, Allah says, Qad That successful indeed is the one who purifies themselves, remembers the name of their Lord, and, and prays. But then he says, Bal dunya. But, or by contrast, or however, or almost as if to say, unfortunately, you still continue to prefer the life of this world. And the hereafter is better and more lasting. So at the root cause of it, fundamentally, it's an issue of like, uh, certainly in terms of the issue of um, like inconsistency of salah, uh, where we miss prayers, delay prayers, abandon prayers. What are we doing? We are choosing other than Allah at that particular point in time. Yeah. Yeah, we're choosing to give preference to ourselves, to other people, to whatever objective. Something is taking the place uh, that Allah should be taking as priority at that particular moment in time. So, so, so there is therefore, in general terms, and the way it's worded in those verses is that we have given preference to the life of this world over and above, you know, what really counts for uh, towards our hereafter. So that's a, that a kind of a, a level in terms of, um, you know, miss praying or not praying. And then there's the problem of praying but not really praying. And I think there. There, I think it's a consequence of the way in which we have understood Salah and the way in which uh, it is taught. Like if a lot of us think about how we have actually learned to pray, yeah. like a lot of us have done that by kind of um, like natural sort of osmosis absorption just over time, like from different sources. Yeah. We're, not, we're not actually sure how we've done it, to be honest, in a way. Maybe we can, we can think about the fact, yeah, maybe some, there was some parental influence. You know, I followed others that asked here or there, you know, um, we've we, we've often not been connected with with the subject matter in a kind of uh, in a way where actually, frankly, we can reasonably be expected to, um, to 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 sort of fulfill or to direct ourselves appropriately in the prayer. So yeah. I think there's a teaching issue, but the root cause here, fundamentally, I would say, is, is a misconceptualization right. uh, of God Himself and what this solar actually represents. Mm-hmm. Fundamentally, it comes down to this. Uh, it comes down to a lack of genuine conviction in in the salah that there is actually a living, hearing, seeing Lord that we are actually interacting with. Mm-hmm. I, that's basically what it is. Now, that might sound like a uh, strong statement, yeah? But I believe it. I believe basically that is what it comes down to because there are certain things that we do that when we reflect upon them, there's no, like, there's just no way to to claim that we were co- simultaneously conscious that a living, hearing, seeing Lord is before us, if you like, and we are addressing him. And then the things, the th- kind of things that we do uh, and, and, and the way in which we say, which we can, you know, we can elaborate on, like they don't match up. Yeah. So there's an issue of like, there are levels of belief and conviction, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so, yes, in some theoretical sense, right, we are believers. We say, la ilaha illallah, we are Muslim. We have submitted in that, in some sense, but then, Beyond that, there's like infinite levels that you can, you know, you can, you can, you can, um, I suppose, traverse and go through. And I suppose that that's what it is. It's like, what is the real relationship that we have with, with our Lord? And how well do we really know him? And to what extent are the rest, is the rest of our life outside of prayer directed towards him really? Yeah. You know, all of these things play a factor. <clears throat> I mean, I mean, before we go to the questions, I just want to elucidate the point that how you mentioned you start from zakat and then you move to salah. And then what's the thing before Salah, which is what you mentioned, it's the belief in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala itself. 
Um, so I find that it, it all makes sense. Sometimes people like to think everything is separate from each other, but Islam is one holistic solution and Salah is part of that, a huge part of that puzzle. And I'd like to ask you a few more questions actually, because um, in the winter in the UK, especially in the UK, we have Maghrib, uh, sorry, Fajr Salah. Fajr Salah and Maghrib as well, actually. Fajr Salah happens uh, at sunrise is approximately uh, 8.15 uh, and Jama'ah is uh, 6.45 in some mosques. So it's reasonably quite late. If you, if well, for lockdown, you'd be going to work. Uh, yeah. So it reasonably is quite late. You'd just wake up for work and you'd pray your salah and go. Uh, and, but we, we find that we, we are going through a very um, unique problem is that people are struggling to wake up for the Fadr salah. Mm. Um, what kind of remedies would you give for this sort of solution or, or this sort of problem, sorry? And, you know, how could we orchestrate a solution for it? Yeah, sure. So I think, look, I think, it, it come, again, it comes down to, it does come down to some of the broader questions which we've been sort of posing of ourselves, like more recently, uh, or just now, right? Which is to say, like, where does, um, we have to make an overall decision about the importance, like where, uh, where the importance of prayer fits into our overall life, yeah, in terms of our priorities, okay? Is it our number one priority? And it should be. I mean, oftentimes we feel as though we're inserting solar in and around the rest of our life. And that, for example, our studies, you know, as students or our future careers or whatever, like they actually are in our minds, our kind of central, uh, you know, literally occupation. I mean, in more ways than one, actually our occupations and the things that occupy us more than uh, more than anything else. And so relative to all of these other things, like what, what is central and what is peripheral? Yeah. Oftentimes we think, OK, our career, our studies, whatever you know, some worldly objectives that I have, that these are central and then peripherally, or I just insert Salah around. Whereas we need to reorient our perspective to say, no, Salah is central. Okay. And then we insert these other things around. For this purpose, by the way, I will come back to the Fajr point specifically, but for this purpose, it's always worth reflecting on the origin of the five prayers. As we know, the Prophet ﷺ was initially instructed with 50 prayers in the day and night. It's really worth us thinking about that because whilst, of course, it was then reduced to five prayers, in truth, if it, if the requirement upon us was 50 prayers in the day and night, it wouldn't have been too much. That would have been perfectly reasonable. And then it's worth us thinking about, well, what would our lives have looked like then? Yeah. Like in, in, and it gives us a sense that, you know, you know, the number one thing that we have been created to manifest, to demonstrate is our submission, devotion, commitment, um, uh, to Allah by making sure that we, uh, give him that time as he has uh, you know, obligated, uh, you know, obligated, uh, uh, upon us. Yeah. So I think there's that, the overall kind of priority thing, as far as Fajr specifically is concerned, look, ultimately it's about, you know, sleep, right. And waking up really. I mean, I, I think that, um, you know, once we've solved the issue of uh, it's you know, 90% of it is determination, you know, and where does this fit into my priority set? Like, it's like, you know, you have, if you have, if, if you have a flight in the morning or people have to wake up early for work, you know, whatever, like millions of people around the world. I remember I used to, I used to, um, uh, you know, I used to reflect upon the fact that, uh, you know, oftentimes that, you know, we, we struggle to wake up for Salah at the same time when millions of people around us will have already woken up for the sake of pursuing, you know, their daily sort of job and making sure they turn on time to do the things that pay, puts bread on the table. Yeah. So there, uh, their connection, their commitment to their whatever worldly occupation is greater, therefore, than my commitment to waking up for Fajr. You know, like when you think about it like that, you know, it, it kind of acts as a bit of a motivator because, frankly, that's just embarrassing. Yeah, you know, like, you know, I don't, I don't want that to be continue to be the yeah. case. So, 
Um, so I think, you know, but after that, look, clearly it's, it's an issue of, it's, it's definitely an issue of sleep. Like there's no end of distractions, right? And forms of entertainment to, to kind of keep us occupied late into the night. And one of Shaitan's classic tricks is to keep us up, frankly, oftentimes doing completely useless things, you know, of zero, almost zero benefit or even harm potentially, you know, and keep us up past midnight, one, two, three a.m. You know, there's almost something I know even among student student culture it's almost like some bravado associated with that somehow. Yeah, that actually it's weird or it's kind of strange for someone to sleep early and rise early. But we all know deep down that that's where wisdom is, you know, to sleep yeah. early and rise early. And so, you know, nowadays, of course, you have like a whole movement around this whole sleep and everything else. You need X amount of hours and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, okay, I think there's some benefit in that. There's some skepticism we should maybe show towards it as well. The point is, we know ourselves. We know what is a reasonable night's sleep that we require. I mean, it's just a question of timing, right, and discipline. So if we need seven hours of sleep, we know that we need to wake up at 6.30. Well, you need to be in bed by 11.30. It's still pretty late, right? You can, so you can still get, you can still achieve whatever you need to achieve. So it really is a question of discipline and forcing yourself to um, to cut off after a certain point in time, certainly like restricting device access after a certain point in the evening is, is a healthy thing. And finally, one other thing I'll mention just in the context of students uh, is obviously where you're, do, where you're encouraging and helping each other, it always helps. You know, so I know like, you know, back in the day, I'm sure it still carries on, you know, people have these like fudger chains or whatever, you know, the one, someone, first person who's the most reliable, they'll wake up, they'll call the next person, they'll call the next person, they'll call the next person, right? So there's a way to support and encourage each other. Of course, yeah. if you're praying congregation, you can you know challenge each other to meet congregation for prayer and to gently put some pressure on each other when people are failing to turn up. That also helps. Yeah. So a degree of a peer pressure, certainly at the initial stage of our journeys, is helpful just to motivate us as well. Um, so, yeah, these are some of the things I would point to. Definitely, inshallah. Barakallah, for that. I mean, one point that you mentioned that reminded me of my time at university was um, you'd have Fajr buddies. Right, exactly. Yeah. That you'd either call them or if you lived in the same dorms as them, you'd knock on their door. Sure. Um, yeah. So it, it, it just reminded me of a very funny incident when I did that. Uh, but you know, when you wake someone up very early in the morning, they, they're not the most, you know, the most, not the most happiest people that wake up. Yeah, you're not, you're, you're not the most popular person at that time. Right? Yeah, you're not the most popular person. So it just reminded me of it. It was, it was a very good thing at university. I think university students that are listening to that, um, that are living in dorms with, with your friends and stuff like that. And definitely, I think that's a good advice. Um, inshallah. Also, you mentioned the idea of sleeping early. Um, you mentioned I the re, one of the reasons why we don't sleep early or potentially why we don't do that is because mm-hmm. we are engraved or engulfed in social media or in our phones and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, I'm guessing there's some sort of psychological issue um, that could have on our sleep because not just psychological rather, but like we can't, we're telling ourselves we're going to go to sleep, but then our brains are physically awake. Sure, sure. I mean, even physio- yeah, physiologically, right? I'm no expert on these things, but you know, yeah. they have all of these uh, uh, studies and what have you that, you know, talk about the, the effect of the kind of the light that obviously screens are emitting and stuff and the effect mm-hmm. that they have in terms of us being able to calm down sufficiently and be in a state or, you know, a good state in order to be able to sleep and everything else and, and the, and how it affects the quality of our sleep as well. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not, it's really not a kind of, it's a very simple idea. It's not profound. Right. But it is hard for people to have that discipline. I think it really comes down again to this kind of question of like what, um, you know, it's that ability to choose between what I want to do now and what I really want most ultimately, you know, right. and for me to say, look, you know, if ultimately I don't want to meet Allah in a situation where I'm having to account for the fact that I just for no real good reason, like, you know, was, you know, missed prayer upon prayer upon prayer. Yeah. When I could easily, I will have no excuses. So don't give yourself the reason basically now, like to, you know, get, or, or allow those excuses or reasons mm-hmm. to come into your mind now that kind of prolong and prolong and prolong. And 
have that you just it is just a question of discipline so if you say look after 10 p.m that's it cut off no laptop no desktop no screen no phone no nothing yeah airplane mode <laughs> that's it airplane mode and alarm and you want to read a book you want to do something like that you know start interacting with paper again you know that thing called paper <laughs> yeah so do something like that and then quick, very quickly you know you'll end up perhaps nodding off right but i think it's important to um uh so it is a key factor and it's very tempting like you know the the, the level of addiction and the level of temptation in like checking this app then that app then that app then the other app oh then my messages again oh then facebook then my email you know just going in this sort of circular motion you know, until you're literally completely exhausted right and by before you know it it's whatever 2 a.m or something that's obviously not going to help i mean what do you think about this um the the the, the opposite of that in fact when you have ocd for salah so for example i'm not going to pray my salah until i'm fully awake and i'm fully ready and prepared to pray salah because sure. Not everyone realistically is going to wake up with the, that zeal and that that fahm and that understanding of what they're going to read, and you know. So, what, what advice would you give for the for the other side? Yeah, I mean, you know, not not necessarily comment on kind of OCD in the context of actual an actual kind of medical or health kind of okay. consideration, but like in terms of just you know overdoing like overdoing it. Yeah, I mean, look, shaitan address you know comes to people in different ways, right? So sometimes mm-hmm. there's this idea, you know, until you get to a certain point of perfection. By the way, I mean, it's quite common. It is quite common, actually, a quite a common sentiment that I have heard for as to why people generally don't pray or omit their prayers is because mm-hmm. they don't think they're good enough. Yeah. yeah, They don't feel they're good enough. They feel like I'm sinning. I'm doing all of these. I know I'm doing all these things. Like, actually, I'm not like, so it's almost a weird kind of, um, it's almost like a, like a, in their minds, like a good reason, but to do a bad thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which is um, like, it's built on some sort of uh, maybe comes from some sort of humility or shame actually in front of Allah. But actually now me, like I don't, I feel wrong just standing here because I've just done mm-hmm. such a such thing. But actually in a way Salah has, is supposed to have that effect actually though. And we were supposed to then pursue it because then it becomes a purifier. It becomes a, a means to, uh, as Allah says in the Salah, right? the idea of continuously turning back to Allah and engaging with him is supposed to increase our level of, um, uh, like uh, our kind of internal regulating kind of mechanism, right? And our kind of level of uh, shame because we have that transparent relationship with him. So in between, and if we keep turning back to him in our prayers, we will over time, hopefully reduce and reduce, reduce the kinds of things that we're doing in between our prayers that we're not proud to turn back to him, you know, face him again with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is another trick of shaitan to basically send you into a state of hopelessness and to despair of Allah's mercy, basically, you know? So there is that too. Um, in terms of like a perfectionism, sometimes with our wudu, our people get into a yeah. sort of a state about, you know, like every, you know, sort of um, nanometer of their body, like making sure that everything is like done, you know. Now, yes, yeah. there's a thoroughness, but we don't, we shouldn't overdo it. Uh, similarly, you might wake up sluggish and not sure why I don't feel ready, whatever. But, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. we all know that once you get up, put some cold water in. I mean, I typically personally do wudu usually usually in freezing cold water yeah because it just helps to kind of revive uh revive you a little bit even in even in winter i normally do that unless i really can't take it um so it helps you revive you sometimes i'll listen you know and in the mornings whatever sometimes you'll wake up go to the bathroom you know just literally just open the window right stick your head out the window just get let the head let it just hit you basically let the air just hit you get you it will wake it will jolt you right it will wake you up yeah. a bit of movement bit of fresh air cold water you know these things will uh will, will help obviously I mean, if I could add to that one thing, what I do is I just uh, make a cup of tea as well in the morning as well. Nice cup of tea, yeah. hold it for a little bit. Fair enough. If you have, if you have, if you have the time, I imagine that some people, when, obviously, when they wake up, you know, yeah. sometimes it might be quite close to the point of sunrise. So I wouldn't recommend too much. Uh, 
Of you course. Know, yeah. So, uh, tea and coffee preparation at that stage. Let's move on to the questions, inshallah. So that was the first question that we had was that. Okay. Um, I, 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 the thing with these questions, I'm just looking in hindsight. The nature of these questions are such that we probably answered some of these already in general no conversation, but there's nothing yeah. wrong with that, inshallah ta'ala. So, um, you just to elaborate before we had 60 to 70% of, of them, of, of our people that filled out the form saying that they found Fajr to be an issue, which okay. was quite interesting. And inshallah ta'ala, those that, you know, filled out the form and, and those that are listening to this and actually would like to benefit from that uh, advice and iqbal, I hope that helped uh, inshallah ta'ala under, understand the importance of Fajr and what to do in those situations where we do feel like perhaps we might miss them more than we should. Um, so in the second question is, in a busy, hectic nature of work and study, um, how can they make time and ha- even enjoy their salah? And I'd, I'd focus on and even enjoy their salah because sometimes when you can pray your salah, but you don't enjoy it because you're thinking about so much other things to do with work or whatever. Uh, what would mm. your advice be on that, uh, John? Yeah, well, obviously, this, you know, this, there's a lot to say, obviously, with that. And we need to... Um, you know, in brief, I would say we need to address like uh, different things. So, number one, um, to uh, actually normalizing salah as just another meeting that we have is quite a useful thing to do. Yeah. So, for yeah. example, if you've got you've got a series of lectures, meetings, you know, work engagements, whatever, depending on whatever stage you're at in your life, yeah. Um, you know, there'll be things in the day that have their various, their times. Now, frankly speaking, length, yeah, length doesn't need to dictate or the amount of time that you have doesn't need to dictate sig- significantly the quality and the focus or the pleasure or the enjoyment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you could be like in the midst of your day, you could do something for five minutes that you find to be very valuable, rewarding. You're focused on it. Yeah. You enjoy it. It's beneficial. You're connected. You're focused. And then you can move on to the next thing. Right. Mm-hmm. In some ways, actually, the fact that each prayer, you know, maybe only takes five or ten minutes, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, it's only five or ten minutes, for God's sake. Like, it's not like an hour, you know, as a student, you're used to sitting through an hour lecture, right? Uh, and, and we know we know the challenges that, that can exist in terms of focus in those things. So actually, focus shouldn't be a, a problem. And even enjoyment necessarily isn't correlated. Like, enjoyment, you know, and uh, uh, the kind of tra- tranquility, etc., I, I don't think that actually most people's salah needs to increase in length significantly in order them to for them to experience significant gains in their connection and tranquility, enjoyment, etc. Yeah, right. I, it's, a, it's a different. It's a it's a the the actual. If you think about what needs to be done, it doesn't actually add too much time. Yeah, mm-hmm. necessarily. Like you probably you know that sometimes the difference between a bad prayer, possibly an un- unacceptable one, and a, at least a minimally kind of acceptable one or a decent one might only be a couple of minutes, you know, in terms mm-hmm. of the difference, in terms of time. Yeah. The issue basically is uh, a couple of things. Number one, I think the pre- preparation part is very important. Mm-hmm. So in each prayer, one thing I recommend, okay, uh, one component of the preparation that I really strongly recommend is uh, what I call the golden minute, yeah? So this basically says when you come to the place where you're going to pray, right, and you're now you're standing and you're ready, before you raise your hands, yeah, stand there for up to 60 seconds, just, just focusing your mind and getting into the zone. Yeah. Usually, most of us, between the time that we actually arrive at the place for prayer and the time that we raise our hands, that is a very short time. I mean, sometimes people literally, I mean, literally, there's no time. They literally walk and <laughs> raise at the same time and they're in, you know. Yeah. Sometimes we, we stand and, and actually, 
sometimes we can, and this is a strange thing that happens with Salah, right? Like time takes on a different kind of dimension. You know, something different goes on in our head, right? As far as our time perception really shifts. So all of a sudden in Salah, like small amounts of time feel like they're really long. So you can stand at the beginning uh, of the prayer. And actually for a lot of people, when they start to do this, it's quite, it's almost in a funny kind of way. It's kind of, they find it quite stressful just standing there thinking and focusing and almost like in some ways doing nothing, being still. Mm, yeah. Like a lot of people find that quite hard, right, initially, um, because there's like a, almost like a restlessness yeah, to, to move to the next thing to do. There's a rush, whatever. There's a famous, very famous, you're probably aware of it, and I'm sure many of the listeners are also aware of it, a famous qu- uh, quote that the scholars often mention about uh, an individual called Hatim al-Asam who lived about a couple of hundred years after the Prophet sallallahu so he was asked uh, by somebody to tell them about his prayer. So he said that when the time for prayer comes, I perform an excellent wudu and then I go to where I'm about to pray and I sit down until I sit down in that place until I feel myself in a state of tranquility. Okay, then I stand up and I imagine that the Kaaba is front of me, the Jannah is to my right, the Jahannam is to my left, that the angel of death is above me and that the Sarats, the bridge over the hellfire is directly in front of me. Yeah. And then I, uh, and then I begin, yeah, saying the Takbir, et cetera. And he described the rest and, moving in tranquility and all of the rest of it and then he ends by saying you know and then i finish and then i wonder whether my prayer has been accepted or not but the key point from what from that i wanted to emphasize is this part that between the time that you are now standing ready for prayer or sitting even better i think because it helps to really calm you down and and visualizing thinking focusing what is exactly is it that you're about to do you know bringing to mind some of those bigger picture sort of realities yeah jannah jahannam uh, you know, you not in front of the Kaaba, but you kind of visualize it, you know, the, the hereafter, angel of death, but, uh, the whole notion of praying as if it's your last prayer. You know, we all know this idea of praying as if it's your last prayer is a theoretical thing, but have we ever prayed, really prayed even one prayer as if it's our last prayer? Really? That you know, that's it. Like after this, you're going. Angel of, death, angel of death is just waiting. Yeah. And after this one, you're gone. Have we ever even prayed one prayer like that? Mm-hmm. You know, hard to claim that we pro- ha- ever have, but we could and can at least have tried our very best, you know, to, to do that. These things focus the mind because you know what it is at the end of the day, it's about filling your mind and heart with really what matters. And when you do that, re- the reason why all of this helps, because all of a sudden then the thing that you have just been involved with, you've put a buffer in between that and what you're about to do. If you go straight from whatever was occupying you before, straight into your prayer, you're going to carry those thoughts in, into your salah with you, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And you're gonna, you're gonna, it's gonna, and then usually what happens is we've done Allah, we've done Fatiha, and then somewhere in the surah after Fatiha, then we kind of realize where we are, what we're doing. You know, we kind of are catching up. What ends up happening is that our tongues and our bodies, like, are in first and second position, then in third position is our mind, and in fourth position is our heart. (laughs) So, like, catching up. But you, what needs to happen is that we need to speak and move at the pace that our uh, thoughts and emotions can, can stay in tune with. When, when these things become misaligned, then it becomes very hard. Yeah, And there's an effect in Salah that ends up happening for a lot of people where you literally feel like you're being pulled through the other end. It's not like you're in control almost. It's like you're just, you're just you know, being like pulled through by this satanic force almost, right? That's just like drawing you through too quickly. So I think then that preparatory thing is really important. There's one other point I'll mention in terms of the enjoyment issue. Yeah. Which is say less, but say it better. Mm, yeah. yeah, definitely. So, so it's not important, it's not as important to say, to do a long surah after surah al-Fatiha, right? or to elongate the amount of things that you say in your prostration of your ruku, etc. Actually, if you think about it, the amount of things that you need, need to say in your salah 
are very minimal. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Uh, let me ask. Let's let's take one example. One example of um, uh, something just to illustrate this point. So, when we say "ihdina sirat al-mustaqim," okay. So we say every day in our salah, in every unit of prayer, we say we ask Allah as a supplication. We we say to Him, guide us on the straight path. Now, a lot of us may know the meaning of "ihdina sirat al-mustaqim" if asked. Yeah, but the the question is. When we say it, do we say it? Uh, two things. Number one, do we say those words? Uh, and at the same time as saying those words, we're actually conscious of the meaning of what we're saying. That's number one. So there's a, there's a difference between, I think one of the questions that was shared with me is that, look, you might know the meaning, right? But you're not necessarily, you're still not able to focus. That was a difference. Yeah, right. Fair enough. Okay. So, but the issue, but this connects with this idea of focus and enjoyment and everything else. Yeah. Because the single biggest problem that people face in their prayer is that they don't say things as if they mean what they're saying. Yeah. yeah. So there's number one, being conscious of what you're saying. Then there's understanding what you're saying. Then there's meaning what you're saying. These are three different levels. Okay. So I can be conscious of what I'm saying, meaning I can hear the phonics of Ihdina Salat Mustaqim. Yeah. I might not know what it means. And so if I don't know what it means, I certainly can't mean what I say. Then I might know the meanings, like theoretically, okay, I might have studied it a little bit, or I just know if, if asked, what does Ihdina Salat Mustaqim mean? I might be able to answer the question. But that doesn't mean that in the prayer, whilst I said it, I was uh, aware or thinking about what I was saying. So that's another thing. Now, in order to do that, you have got to, there, you have to slow it down. Each statement, yeah, especially for most, I mean, unless we have a high level of familiarity, I mean, with Arabic, yeah, and I, I, I am, uh, you know, I'm someone who studied Arabic from a young age or over many, many years, right? So I would say I probably have a reasonably high level of familiarity with the language, right? No expert, but sufficient, okay? Even so, even so, because most of my life I'm not thinking, dreaming, interacting in this particular language. Yeah. So when I'm now doing salah, I, I, have to, I have to slow it down. It's not, like, it's not like I'm communicating now. It's not like at the moment my mind and my emotion can, ca- can keep up with the pace of my English. Yeah, basically. So I'm aligned right now. Yeah. In, in that sense. And so it all like the communication, hopefully makes some sense to you. Right. Or at least it's coming across to you that I care about the subject. Okay. I mean what I'm saying. I'm saying something that's you know, remotely logical, perhaps whatever. Yeah. Whereas in Salah, what ends up happening is that because we're not used to that frame, we have to slow down to allow ourselves. So it means that we pause in between the statements. We think to ourselves, okay, I'm about to say, then I start to guide us on the straight path. And then I say it. Yeah, or I say the statement and I pause and I think about what I've just said, right? Or I say it slowly enough that whilst I'm saying it, like the the the, the statement in Arabic and the meaning in English, like is coming simultaneously to me. Mm, yeah. Okay. So I think that's really important. And then the last part is to mean what I say. Now this is the key, this is really the key point, and this is a point that I don't think I've 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 rarely heard mentioned in my you know my life on any subject of discussion or prayer. I think it's really important. You know, think about especially especially when you are in a silent prayer, yeah? Think about how you say to stay with our example. Now, there's a big difference. There's a, uh, there's a big difference between, okay, this. This is a classic rendition, I think, of most people's Fatiha, okay? To say it slightly louder than they would in, in, as they would say it. Right? I mean, I reckon a lot of people, you know, maybe most people, that's I how they would read it in Wassel. They would just connect everything, but they wouldn't even pause. Yeah, all right, exactly. Or even without even any pause, right? Now, the words are said, 
Okay, the words are being said. Okay, I'm not getting to the issue of tajweed and everything else, right? I mean, even this is an interesting uh, point, though. Even in a silent salah, as much as possible, we should pronounce as accurately as possible. Yeah. yeah. Um, but and not from a technical standpoint. I'm not saying that from a kind of legal or technical uh, view. I'm saying it from the point of view that you're still addressing Allah just because you're addressing yeah. Him silently doesn't mean you should articulate yourself any less clearly. But the point being, there's a big difference. Now, in English, you t- is there not a difference? If I say to you, okay, let's say, for example, I'm stuck for directions. I'm going along the path, and I see someone, and I need their help. If I say to this person, can you help me with the directions? Yeah? yeah. Or if I say to him, can you please help me with the directions? Yeah. Now, in terms of time, there's like a one-second difference between those two statements. But why do we mumble to Allah? Like, why do we mumble in a meaningless kind of fashion to Allah? Like, how can we can claim that that statement is a statement, or how can we think that he would think that we mean this request? Yeah, definitely. Because in communication, the tone of your expression suggests, like, the genuineness of your statement, right? So I could say everything I'm saying right now, say, in, say exactly the same words at the same pace, but completely monotonously, basically. And in a mumble. Mm-hmm. But then if I did that, you would, you and whoever would say, like, like, there's something wrong with this person, basically, right? Like, he's yeah. speaking in a way that he clearly doesn't mean what he's saying. He's not interested. But I would just say that it goes back to the original point that you mentioned, isn't it? But you mentioned the point that how we need to know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because if we don't know we're addressing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and that's obviously the big flaw. Because if, you know, if Allah was there, and you know Allah's there. But if you don't know Allah's there, then you're going to read your salah like your Imam Ferrari. Like you're going to read it quickly and you're just going to mumble it. Um, so I think that's a really good point that you mentioned. Sean. Yeah, no, you're right. So, but the thing is, you know what it is? It's like even at a, you know, in order, this point I think is a simple, but I do think it's a profound point because the, you don't even, you don't need to be some great, you know, uh, you know, alim, you know, Arif, like, you know, Gnostic, as they say, like, you know, of Allah in some nth degree of detail to just know that he is an entity who hears and I want to speak to him in a way that he, that, that I would hope he would take me seriously, basically. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, we do that with each other all the time. Mm. You know, like if we have children, like I have children now, so like, you know, if they speak in a mumble or they speak in an unclear way, that's something that I discipline them on or I teach them or I help them with sorting out. I don't accept that for my children. If they speak to me or I see them speaking in such a way, I say, we say to our kids, speak clearly, <laughs> yeah, like articulate yourself properly. But why? Th- this is the thing. Now, this, I think, is a real, um, uh, it's a really telling point because it does come down to, like you said, it does come down to the level of consciousness that we have of him being a true, like Allah being a true entity for us, not some abstract idea, you know. A lot, a lot of the way we, inter- we do our Islam is like with Allah as some sort of, like an abstract idea, a concept. And a lot of the way he's taught, like, you know, you think about a lot of the way things like topics such as Aqidah and you know, all these things have been taught in very abstract theoretical terms, not in real, not in an applied real kind of personal, intimate terms. Yeah. And so that's why a lot of people's thinking, you know, in, the, in, this, uh, in this subject matter is kind of all over the place. But I just, uh, this is just to kind of really uh, bring it down to this key, key point, which is don't try not to say anything in your prayer, except that you are understanding, you're addressing Allah directly and that you want to say things in such a way that he that you that you would hope that he would take you seriously based on the way in which you say it so for example you know even if I'm doing it silently obviously I have to say it a bit um, louder so that it, I can hear but even, there's a big difference between saying 
I'm not in getting into like, you know, full loud tilawa and everything else. I mean, by the way, even there, there's a whole danger because oftentimes nice melodious recitation mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, is motivated by, yeah. again, this kind of like an understanding that melodious recitation is what it should be. But usually it's like, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's sort of, it's not, it's not actually coming from the heart. Yeah, definitely. It's not, it's not, it's not melodious because it's resulting from our sense of the meaning and the message. It's kind of melodious because we've imitated like Sudeis and Shuraim and whoever, yeah. <laughs> right? So, and, and in that sense, so there's, yeah. there's, a, there's a, obviously we want to articulate and the, it's a prophetic advice, you know, in fact, insistence to, um, to, to articulate the words of Allah in a beautiful manner, but it should be very personal. Yeah. And it should be like natural and emanating yeah. from, 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 from us and within, right? And, and again, as if we're really addressing him personally and directly. For that. Uh, especially the last point, I think that um, the whole idea of salah is, is a, like you mentioned, a personal connection with you and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so you should start to communicate with him as you're having a personal conversation. I think that was really the point, mashallah. One more question, inshallah, before we move on to the question and answers after this, inshallah, was that the, there's a constant feeling that um, that there's no time in life uh, to take 20 to 30 minutes to pray salah with khushur. Um, and ideally, that's what khushur demands. Um, that's what the, the question suggests, you know, that if you want to pray with, with khushur, you'd have to pray up to 20 to 30 minutes for salah. Yeah, um, no, yeah. No, I mean, as, as I think we've touched on, I mean, if they mean, if the questioner means, you know, each salah needs to be 20 to 30 minutes, I don't believe it does. It, it doesn't need to be 20 to 30 minutes. It can be, but it doesn't need to be 20 to 30 minutes in order for the, uh, it to be, have been a quality prayer. Yeah. Um, you know, there's the famous, uh, uh, the famous narration about the person who came into the masjid and then uh, they prayed and then they, they, it was an individual prayer seemingly. And then they left uh, and the Prophet, وسلم, they greeted the Prophet وسلم, at the door. Uh, to, to the mosque and he responded to the greeting and said you know go back and pray because you haven't prayed yeah so famous narration and this happens three times right so just imagine i mean it's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing uh, narration right so person comes in prays uh is leaving and then is told by the prophet go and pray again because you have not prayed i mean the arabic you know like it's explicit you haven't prayed now obviously the person had you know in some sense the done the things the components uh, of prayer um but you haven't prayed look how look mm-hmm. at the strong language actually of the prophet mm-hmm. yeah, yeah so it happens three times then uh, uh, on the third time he's like look i can't do any more teach me the advice of the prophet to this person is that to was to basically go through each stage and uh, in the arabic in, yeah meaning mm-hmm. like until you are in a state of tranquility in each position. This person's prayer was invalidated, if you like, or unacceptable as far as the Prophet was concerned because it was too rushed. But what we do, by the, but, but, but I think it's deeper than that. I think it's a deeper than that. What we do often in response to that narration is that we, we think to ourselves, yes, I need to be in a state of stillness, physical outward stillness, yeah, in between each uh, state. So when I come up from the bowing position, I need to stand still yeah. before I go into prostration. Uh, and then, yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, and then in between the prostrations. These are the two c- critical points where prayer is lost. Yeah? yeah, the two interim, you know, if you want to call them positions, although they're not actually interim positions, really. Yeah, so standing up from the bowing position, yeah. etc., and then before we're going, Allahu Akbar, and then especially in between the two prostrations. Yeah. Okay. 
Now, sometimes the Prophet Sallallahu we, we learn in some narration that he, the length of his bowing and prostration was sometimes equivalent to the length of his standing, uh, sitting between the prostration and standing after the bowing. Mm-hmm. You know, but many of us, the idea of sitting in between the prostrations for as long as we were in the prostration, like, is completely alien. Yeah, we've never like you know, we don't, we've never done it. We're not sure what we would do. Uh, was sitting there for so long, right? So, 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 but, but, so the so many of us in response to this narration, what we do is is that we somewhat artificially hold our position. Yeah, yeah. But the problem with that is, I'm not sure it necessarily fulfills the requirement from the hadith because the hadith says hatta in sajidan jalisan etc. Now, until you're in a state of tranquility, now tranquility is an external state, but it's an internal state as well. It's an internal state. And as Ibn Qayyim and others mention in their, in their writings on this subject, that you need to be in each position, each state, you know, uh, uh, don't, not to leave e- any position of the prayer until you feel you've met your Lord, until you've connected. Yeah, then, then come out, right? And then, so it's quite possible to have stood after the bowing position or to sit in between the prostrations in a way that, for example, meets some, I don't know, three-second rule, for example, yeah? In terms of being still before you move on, but actually, physic, but internally and maybe slightly physically, there's a bit of a tightness. There's a bit of a. There's still that thing of I'm moving into the next position, being pulled in, rather than being completely at ease and at peace, even set, even for a short period of time in that position before you then consciously, okay, Allahu Akbar, and then you move on to the next one. All right. It's, it's like saying the word harmony, like you're harmonizing everything. Yeah, yeah like, harmonize, aligned, connected, yeah. right? These yeah. kinds of words. But the yeah. thing is, is that, but. You see, doing these particular things that we've mentioned, you know, speaking slowly, taking one phrase at a time and pausing between phrases, not just in the Surah Al-Fatiha, but others, but the Surahs, but actually the, even the rest of it, you know, the, uh, the, the, the Salah, you know, especially in the last, in the sitting position, the phrases, At-Tahiyyat, etc., and the Salawat, and all the rest of it. You know, this here, you know, is really, again, another danger zone, because, first of all, a lot of the meanings of what we're saying, I think, are lost on, on a lot of people. Definitely. They get all merged into one big long sentence, basically. Where there, whereas there's actually a, a huge number of different things that are going on yeah. in the statements in the sitting position, yeah. and of course, because typically then we're towards the end of the uh, the salah, then our mind has already kind of gone through to what we're going to do next. You know, so it ends up being a bit of a can be, you know, quite a risky sort of um, a territory. But I genuinely believe that in order, you know, let's say, for example, someone now, and I recommend this, I recommend this as an experiment, if you like, you know, for, for, for people to do, you know, before you pray your next prayer, say it's your Isha prayer now, if you're not, if you're in the UK and you're watching right in the evening, so your next prayer is going to be your Isha prayer. Okay. So fine. So before you, if you're not, I mean, if you're praying congregationally, that's fine. You're, you're doing, but if, if you happen to be praying at home or you're leading a, a salah at home or what have you, or on your own, uh, let's say you pray and you can do this for Isha for any voluntary prayer, whatever prayer, right? Just look at the clock before you start, okay? Then just pray your normal prayer and then look at the clock afterwards. I mean, actually work out or understand how much time it typically takes you. For a lot of people, you know, their salah doesn't last more than a minute per cycle. Yeah? Right? Than a minute per cycle. Being a four-unit prayer takes about four minutes, two-unit prayer takes about two minutes or whatever. For a lot of people, that is the case, right? Like that's, that's as long as it takes. Now, in order to pray the, what, with what I believe is a minimum level of quality in terms of pace, mm. in truth, I don't think it necessarily take, means that you need that. Yeah. It, it could be at a minimum a one and a half minutes per cycle. Yeah, definitely. Yeah? It doesn't be much longer than that. Now, if you think about that, there's 17 obligatory units in the day, mm. right? So at a minimum, you're talking about 17 plus half of that. What is that? Eight and a half, 25 and a half. Let's say 
25 minutes, half an hour a day for a minimum kind of level of pace, I would say. That's assuming, obviously, you know, you know, very short or almost no surahs, right? After surah but like very minimal, the minimal statements, no extension in terms of what you would say in your ruku and your sajda in, in your praise of Allah after ruku, et cetera, et cetera. So that's assuming the minimum level of statements, but to say at the minimum level of pace and quality. Now I'm just saying as these are minimums. So I don't think it means that prayer has to be super long. Yeah. In order for it to be focused. But it, what it does mean is that whatever we say, as we've discussed, we say meaningfully, we're conscious and we take the time to understand the meaning. Um, and, uh, and of course, there's a lot of work outside of the salah that we need to do, I suppose, in terms of, um, uh, increasing our understanding of who Allah is. But to yeah. do that in a very, I suppose, in a more normal way, where like, as if we're trying to build any, any kind of relationship that we're building, where we have a genuine interest in the other person and we are inquisitive and we find out more about who this, you know, who this really is and all of that will help. Definitely. For that. Um, I mean, what this, uh, what this webinar has shown for me, at least, is that is the rationale you can, you can use to justify uh, having an effective prayer. You know, it, it can't be, um, it's not something that should be uh, overlooked. I think sometimes when we just think of salah, we just think salah, okay, I've got to pray my salah, my God. So there's no rationale put towards it. Because, but then when it comes to education, when it comes to work, we put in so much thinking into that. Mm, that's right. and, and there is output. There is output in that thinking. There is more effective mm. solutions. There is more. And, you know, and, the, and I think what, from what I've gathered from this conversation is that we should be thinking about our salah and we should be thinking about harmonizing and, you know, being aligned with our salah, both in our hearts and in, in our actions. And there is this, not necessarily a huge amount of time you have to put in to pray your salah. Half an hour could just be suffice if you just follow the right way to pray your salah, which is what I'm getting from just of what you're considering. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think you're absolutely right, right? So we don't, considering that it is the most important action, yeah, I mean, we haven't mentioned some of these more introductory things. I mean, most people are aware of them, but, you know, there's, there's no, um, uh, there's no extent to which, uh, you know, you can't remind yourself enough that Salah is the first thing you will be accountable for. Yeah. And as the Prophet Sallallahu said, you know, if that, if it is in order, everything else will be in order. If it isn't, you know, they're not. And like, um, you know, then someone, someone, you know, success lies in that, yeah, right? Successfully did other believers, those who have this quality of khushu, this humility and focus in their prayer. And then after mentioning a number of other characteristics of the believers, ends again with another, those who preserve and guard their prayer. So covering the inward and the outward aspects. Now, one of the things that we need to realize and can act as another way to motivate us is the fact that sometimes we lose sight of the worldly benefits of prayer. Yeah, maybe definitely. it's because we think that the only benefits of prayer are in the hereafter, yeah, and maybe that feels a bit distant. So, which is which is why it kind of um, uh, maybe doesn't motivate us. Maybe sometimes sufficiently, there are actually there are supposed to be worldly benefits of salah in terms of our uh, our emotional state, yeah, our psychological state, our level of energy, our level of motivation, right? Uh, in term and even on a on a societal level, you know. Uh, in terms of um, in, on a macro level, on a societal level, from the various verses in the Quran, we can conclude that actually salah is at the heart or at the cornerstone of social reform. Yeah, actually, any any efforts to bring about certain positive kind of things in you know um, uh, changes in the world that is not rooted somehow by returning a sense of godliness, yeah, into the the center of the discussion is going to be short lived because ultimately. It is a departure from that that is our fundamental kind of problem as human beings, right? And salah 
is the ultimate manifestation or the demonstration of a commitment between the human being and the divine. Yeah. yeah? Because you're turning up for your appointments, frankly, with your boss. Yeah. That <laughs> you are, you know, that you're actually um, you're showing and demonstrating that. So um, I think that that's another thing to bear in mind. You know, if you, if nowadays, you know, there's this big kind of mindfulness kind of movements, big yeah. issues in terms of mental health and this and that, what have you. This is the starting point for getting that right. And it doesn't solve, it won't solve those problems or it won't have those benefits just because you've done the prayer in any way, but it certainly will contribute to a positive solutions and benefits if you do it in the right way, Yeah, as we have been discussing. And I think as well, you know, when you mentioned, you quoted Surah Al-Mu'mineen, Qadaf al um sorry, Mu'mineen, sorry, yes. And then it reminded me of that other Surah, Surah Ma'arij, when Allah talks about Ilal Musalleen, these are the people that pray the yeah. salah, and then all those qualities that come after it. You know, it's not just the salah; there are other qualities that emanate from it. And I think that was, you know, some of those things have worldly benefits as well. And I think that was really. But by important. the way, but just on that on that particular point, that that's one of the verses that illustrates. Because just prior to that, what does Allah yeah. say? How do you get to illa al-musallin? Yeah, mm-hmm. That's really important. So people are created in the state of volatility. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, when you know, difficulty or harm touches them, they become anxious. Yeah. And when good, when good uh, comes to them, they become withholding. Mm-hmm. I.e., what, what, what is, was, what is Allah saying? That these people are st- in generally in a state of fear and anxiety about the future, about what's going to go wrong, about everything that's going to happen, mm-hmm. blah, 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 whatever. Yeah. And a lot of us suffer this. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Whoever mm-hmm. it is, right? Muslim, not Muslim, whatever. Like we all have, we all, uh, you know, have these anxieties and fears and worries and concerns about the future. True believers don't, of course. Yeah. True believers are at peace. Yeah. They're calm. They're chill. They're determined, right? They're con- they, they have concerns with regards to the future, but they have no fe- they don't live with fear. Mm. Yeah, they, don't, they only fear Allah. They don't fear anything else. Not circumstance, not person. But the point is, is that in this verse, Allah is saying, look, people generally are in this kind of anxious state, mm. right? Except for those who pray. Those who are constant in their prayers. And exactly as you said, a whole number of other characteristics are then mentioned. They emanate from salah, but then it also closes again with salah again. You know, just yeah. as in you know, you know, the preservation and guarding yeah. prayer is mentioned again. So yeah, it's definitely you know, definitely at the um, uh, you know, a, a kind of a root uh, you know purpose. I mean, the Prophet used to tell Bilal, "Arihna bil," you know, "Arihna bil salah," right? Like, give us rest, give us relaxation, give us relief in the prayer by calling the adhan. Ju'ila qurratu aini fi salah. Yeah, the my highest pleasure, my highest delight, the thing that I most look forward to has been placed in the prayer as if there is some secret there to go and find, you know, if you're when you're in your salah, there's there's like this, um, uh, there's this there's this moment of, um, uh, you know, a, a, a sort of a, a certain level of connection that you can achieve that is like tran- that transcends, you know, yeah. like um, uh that transcends everything really. And, you know, where you lose a sense of even time and space and everything else, you know, one example I give of Salah is like, you know, it's like you enter into a capsule and then you've just, you know, you've gone, you've lifted off, you've gone out from earth now. Yeah. You're, you're going into some other level. I mean, there's, uh, there's a, a weak narration that says, Salah to mi'arajul mu'min. Yeah. The, the Salah is the ascension of the believer. And of course it was on the ascension, uh, when the Prophet Sallallahu received those prayers as well. Yeah. So, you know, it's just like, um, uh, scaling though. Now, when we speak about these things, you know, they seem kind of mystical, you know, sort of, uh, you know, perhaps distant kind of things or whatever. But really, it really does come down to the very tangible, um, practical the inputs that we have been discussing. You know, um, speak to Allah in a way that you re- that is coming from your heart. 
if you aren't able to speak to him in a way that comes from your heart, question why that is in the first place. Um, Maybe because you've yeah. underestimated him. As Allah says, Wama qadarullah haqqa qadri. They haven't they have not people have not given Allah his true estimation. Um, so then they don't know how to they don't know who they're dealing with, so they don't know how to deal with him, basically. Or how to interact, how to communicate. So, you know, that process is obviously again it's another wider discussion about how you how we go about doing that practically. Um yeah. but these are the kinds of things that, you know, um so we need to reflect on and, and will help. We're gonna move on to the questions now actually. Um, so I've been I've been uh, commanded or I've been help, uh, instructed to use this facility on the, on the on the stream where I can actually showcase the questions, inshallah. So I'm going to showcase the first one. All right. Um, I believe it's this one to show. Yeah. So from from Zari, inshallah. Would you recommend that one learns the meaning of everything they say in salah in order to be more present? Uh, and what resource would you point them towards in order to learn this? Okay, fine. So um, definitely, uh, it's definitely a starting point. I think about it. Uh, there's no other situation in your life where you would say something that you don't mean and think that that was, well, meaningful, right? right. I mean, this is, this is literally the only area where we have this discussion, yeah, is in Salah and in generally communicating with Allah, right? Uh, that we, uh, that we, like, it's, it's a really super obvious point, isn't it? Like, the, mm-hmm. the fact that we, don't commu- we should communicate in a way that we understand what we're saying. Would you, would you say like active voice rather than passive voice, like something like that? Or like when you when you speak, when I'm speaking to you right now, I'm I'm speaking my active voice. Like I'm not I'm not an autopilot. Like I'm I'm genuinely having a conversation with you. Sure. Um, would you Would you argue that one should learn the meaning in their salah uh, so that they can speak in the active voice as opposed right. to the passive? Well, yeah, exactly. Effectively, effectively, yes. Yeah. Now, no doubt. The repetition, this is, I mean, another interesting kind of uh, avenue of discussion, but the repetition, you know, of these statements, and again, the way in which we have become maybe accustomed to uh, and learning about Salah in this kind of rote, you know, purely memorization type of thing. Yeah. Uh, it definitely does, it does present a challenge in terms of what do these statements really mean to us? Yeah. yeah. And then, and, 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 and saying them in a meaningful way. I mean, the question says, would you recommend that one learns the meaning? I mean, I'm not just recommending. I'm saying, like, I'm, I'm, if to the extent that I can, I'm insisting you know, that you take the time out. That anything, don't say, you know, anything you say in salah, you need to at least understand the meaning of what you're saying. The literal meaning is a starting point, and then there are obviously layers and levels of depth. So, for example, when we say Alhamdulillah or Subhanallah, Subhanakallahumma, Subhana Rabbi Al Azim, Subhana Rabbi A'la, all of these statements. We can all equivalently learn that Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen means all praise belongs to Allah, Lord of all that exists, right? Today on earth, you know, God knows there's been like, you know, a billion, uh, a billion such phrases have been said by people. But there are also probably a billion levels at which they were, that, that statement was said. From, by the way, the completely unacceptable, right, to the, to the most beloved to Allah as well. So the question is that when we say that statement, what does it actually mean to us? What are we thinking about? What emotion does it bring forward? Yeah. What are we actually, what's it, what's it built upon really? Like is our sense of, and our expression of praise like built upon a level of knowledge and understanding and reflection about Allah and his creation and what he does and who he is and how he does things that is full of wonder and amazement and respect and, 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 and reverence such that when we say Alhamdulillah, it means, it feels and means something completely different. So that's that's really, it's a really good point actually, Sheikh, because before I learned Arabic of the Salah, like for me, I didn't know anything, but I had to connect to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it was more like an obligation for me to connect. 
Um, so I would just visualize me being uh, an abd to Allah, being a servant to Allah, and just spiritually get myself, stay in sujood and just imagine and imagine myself and try to envision what would an abd do, what would a slave Allah do? And then slowly I got to appreciate the learning, the meaning of it. And then that's just when everything just changed. Like that's when my salah just went completely like the next stage. So I think I think there's two different angles you could look at it. But I think the general just is have that, have that emotional awareness and that connectivity to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yeah. In terms of resources, like I think, look, there's a number of um, there's a number of different. I mean, I, frankly, if you just Google it, you would find the meanings of most of what you know is there. Um, yeah. On um, like the, obviously in the in the in the, uh, the the way I have it on the transformmyprayer.com uh, at the moment, there's not much in by way of resources on the on my uh, on the website. Uh, it's mostly just information about the courses. So I've been teaching like a specific course that I've been developed. It's, it's you know depending on the what version of it we teach, somewhere between eight and twelve hours of um slight teaching time which is typically spread over you know a few weeks or whatever a couple of hours a week or an hour or an hour and a half a week for you know six to ten weeks whatever what have you um and then in that process you know go through all of the uh, uh, in addition to general discussion uh like some of the ones that we've been having it goes word for word through everything mm-hmm. that we say and the meanings and everything else but like, like just to access the literal meaning I mean, there's, there's a whole ton of online resources for that purpose which yeah you can easily get hold of um, there's another question here. Uh, let me see if I can press show. What about when we take medicines that make it difficult to make wake up a fajr? So I think when we're talking about waking up a fajr, sure. um, yeah. So what would you say to that, John? Look, I think um, you know the, the kinds of things which we have uh, where we have um, certain constraints like this, so so medical type constraints or whatever. I mean, look, I'm not I'm not providing specific advice because it all depends on the, cert- the specifics of the situation. Um, yeah. And so the last thing I want is for someone to do something, uh, you know, in terms of their medical situation that uh, from this, that it causes harm. But I think, you know, obviously you can look at, you know, do cert- do is it the certain medicines must be taken at a certain time? Do they have to be taken at night? Could they take in the morning instead? Blah, blah, blah. So these kinds of obvious considerations. Other than that, look, right? you do your very best. So you take your medicines, they have a drowsy effect on you, maybe you take them slightly early, take them 7, 8 p.m. if that's something that is, is okay for your situation, you know, so then you can get a decent a, de- a decent sleep or what, what have you, and then you can still, hopefully, still wake up in time, yeah? You do your best, you know? Mm-hmm. Allah uh, is merciful, you do your very best, you don't make it an un, uh, an unnecessary excuse, right, for, for, for delay or, or missing or whatever, uh, but you do your very best, and after that, you leave it to Allah and you accommodate you know, depending on the particulars of your situation, you, you know, yeah, uh, accommodate it to the best extent that you can. I have a very interesting question, actually. This is from Baba Salim. Uh, okay. And I, I think this is, I genuinely think this is an interesting question. Okay, um, yeah, I'm sure it is. How, how, do we, how, how do you connect to, how do you connect to when we're praying Salah, when there's someone who leads Salah? Because that is not in our control. Uh, so what is your question? Sure. What is your thoughts on okay, well, look, well, to be honest with you, look, actually, a lot of the principles that we've spoken of, can be equally applied. Yeah. Right. Now, no doubt they become more challenging if there is an imam uh, who basically doesn't get it, yeah, <laughs> like themselves. <laughs> right. And, and that, frankly, sometimes is a situation. Yeah. Whether in whatever context, it could be a mosque, sometimes it can be in, um, you know, in different places, what have you. Right. But most look, um, in the standing position, obviously the view uh, the view of the majority is that you, the follower will still articulate Surah Al-Fatiha, right? So obviously there are different views on this, but like, you know, if the if the imam is reciting loudly, then you listen, you pay attention, you follow and you feel the meaning. Now what you're, what to visualize here is that you are part of now a group, 
right, that has come to meet the king. And you have a leader who's petitioning on your behalf, but you're all in it together, basically. So you're paying attention. And of course, after the Fatiha, you're all saying, Ameen, yeah, because you're all trying to express to Allah that, yeah, that's it. That's what we want. May it be so. We want the guidance. What is Ameen, by the way? A lot of us, we don't, we forget what, why we're even saying Ameen. We're saying Ameen in response to Ihdina Salat Mustaqim. Yeah. Guide us to a straight path. We elaborate on the path and then we say Ameen. Yeah. And so when the imam, when the leader, the, the, the leader of this uh, band now in front of the king basically says on behalf of the group, guide us, then the group basically uh, reflects to the king their keenness for that thing to be answered by saying, I mean, yeah. So we listen carefully. Now, if it's, if it's, if the imam is silent, either in a silent prayer or for the silent parts of a loud prayer, then we would say the Fatiha ourselves. So then we can apply all of the same things. Now, if we are on the fourth verse of the Fatiha and then the imam moves, we move. With the imam, that's fine. Again, the onus on us is not to fit everything in or to rush it because we are not accountable for the pace of the imam, right? The imam will move at the pace we need to move at his pace in terms of movement. We can't drag behind him. But whatever we do say, even in a short amount of time, let's just say that well. So you focus on saying whatever you're going to say well. Now, the fact that the imam has now moved and you've only said once, subhanahu rabbil al-azim, for example, or subhanahu rabbil a'la, that's okay. That's now, you, you know, you've done the minimum, right? But you now move. But whatever you do say, don't rush just because he's rushing, if yeah. you understand me. You stay with him, right? And then you still express whatever you express. So, so look, you know, in whatever prayer, you still say yeah. most of whatever you would otherwise say. But Sheikh Hona, I would argue that um, I, perhaps this questioner is just asking a simple question. But for me, oh, okay. it, it's quite a deep question because there are lots of different ways you can go about it. So I, I actually spoke to the imam once. I said, look, imam, like, I love you, but you, know, you can't read this slow. Like, well, read this quick. And he said to me, you're not obligated to read. So that was his position that you don't have to read. You know, you're just the, the, you just follow me, right? right. Mm. Um, so if you can't do that, then I would argue, I mean, perhaps, Sheikh, you can elaborate on this, but just to make your sunnah prayers at least, when you're not in the masjid, make your sunnah prayers the, the, the comp- that compensates for that lack of you know, time. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. But that's like a... Um... That's like a roundabout solution, yeah. That's yeah. So, so, I'm, so that's meaning that still doesn't. Yeah. It, it doesn't address this specific question, which is like, okay, you know, whether or not this one happens and how it happens and everything. That's yeah. of course, if you can do it, you should do it, and if you can do it, and you should do it as well as you can, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it generally, yes, as you're absolutely right in saying, it genuine generally then compensates for then the voluntary and, and you know prayers compensate for the deficiencies in our obligatory prayers. Mm-hmm. Understood. But still, the issue comes like when I am behind the, when I'm literally behind the imam now, I can't just be thinking, well, I'm going to give up on the process. I know I'll wait for my sunnah to do something. Yeah, yeah, of course. Of course. So yeah. you still, I still, still think there's certain things to be aware of or certain principles, which are like, don't compromise the quality of your statement. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And that, because that's very tempting to do. Yeah. Right. Like I'm sure I will have done, you know, historically, if I'm behind an imam who's praying relatively fast, and then yeah. I've, I've kind of now got, I've I've understood that in the first or second unit, all right, okay, this, yeah. we're at a certain pace here. Then 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 in the subsequent units of prayer, I might rush my statements yeah. trying to fit it in because I know he's about to shift. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. So um so yeah. And and but you know, there's an, there's another phenomenon though. I mean, it's not always of course it's not always the case that this is the you know, oftentimes is the equally probably a current phenomenon, which is that, you know, we feel sometimes we feel frustrated if a position of prayer is even slightly longer, yeah, than we, than we, um, than we expect. So for example, you know, sometimes we are in the prostration 
we will have said Subhanallah three times, but the Imam has a, the Imam still the Imam still in prostration, and now yeah. we're like you know it's almost like uh, we're we're sort of waiting. When will Allahu Akbar happen? Yeah. yeah. When we will move to that? When we will move to the next thing? And this is also don't be caught in this situation either, mm, right? Definitely. Every time the Imam says Allahu Akbar or Sami Allahu Hamida, actually we should be surprised. Yes. Yeah. So it should it should uh, because we should be busy basically. Mm-hmm saying and speaking and doing whatever, because there's no, you know, there's no, there's no part of the salah where we can't keep going or even repeating. So, you know, if you want to repeat, there's almost other things to say, right? If we're aware of these things, even if you only know the short version, we can keep saying, there's no problem with that. Yeah, we don't, we can keep praising Allah. And then when the Imam decides to say Allahu Akbar, then he says Allahu Akbar. Similarly, we can increase in our supplications and our prostration. But you don't never need to be in a situation where you're, uh, I actually do encourage silence and pausing and reflection because oftentimes we actually don't give ourselves any time for that in our prayer. We're just constantly talking right, without any pause whatsoever. Yeah. But, not, but not just uh, because, oh, now I've said the minimum. And now I'm, and actually internally I'm feeling like, oh, God, this Imam's taking too long. You know, sometimes it's the opposite problem also, you know, that we experienced. Yeah. Yeah. You may, uh, you may not, you may not experience that, but people do, right. People, people do that, you know, commonly experience that, um, where, uh, and especially, especially for those positions where ordinarily people aren't used to a long ah, wait. Yeah. yeah. You know, so you say, Imam says, Sami Allah, Huriman Hamida, and he's literally just five seconds stands, five seconds longer than people expect. And people, people are already like falling into their prostration, right? They're like, what's going on? Why is he taking so long? What's he doing? Um, anyway, so so that's that's an important important thing as well. Not to anticipate the imam's move is what I'm saying. We have a few more questions, inshallah ta'ala. Um, the one question here is from uh, um, Usama. Um, how can we make it more acceptable to our tutors and supervisors that we need to leave the work or study space to go pray, especially in winter when it's two prayers in a seemingly short time span? It's a very true statement. No, sure. Look, I think um, in any context, whether it's a university and work scenarios and different things, right, there, there are, um, you know, where we have to negotiate these kinds of things. So, look, I don't think it's about how do we make it more acceptable to them, right? I think it's more uh, it's more just a um, – I think what's always good about these things is never to, leave, never to leave the discussion to the point in time where you need to basically take the time out. Mm. Yeah. I think you should – meaning approach the discussion with the relevant – uh, people or stakeholders in advance, yeah, or like anticipate the issue basically, yeah. right? So sometimes we leave it to the last minute and we don't have an upfront conversations, yeah, with mm-hmm. our whoever it might be tutor, supervisor, you know, if it's in a work context with our colleagues, with our, you know, um, whoever we report to, you know, managers, team leaders, whatever. Okay. So these are things that conversations that should have an upfront in advance that, you know, respectfully say to them, look, just to let you know that I'm a Muslim and this involves me, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, engaging in prayer at certain times in the day uh, mm-hmm. and, and and in the evening. So at the current time, it's you know we have, there's a compressed time, and I'm, I I do my best to make sure that it happens outside. But if you don't mind, I'm going to be you know comes just a little bit into this session. I mean, if it's unavoidable, sometimes we don't you know we uh, make things more difficult than they have to be, right? And right. we don't plan enough, and then we end up stuck, and then it's like, oh, I need to go. Well, you could have done it before, you know. So why didn't yeah. you plan properly? So. No, if it is the case, they literally so back to back and, you know, there's like, you know, and I, and I can appreciate that may well be the case, then uh, finding some accommodation, uh, you know, and just letting people know respectfully that this is the situation and just to let them know that, you know, can we either, 
this is like small supervisory groups, potentially the start could be delayed by, you know, five, 10 minutes if, if that's appropriate, or you'll just let them know that you'll come a little bit, little bit later, whatever, you know, you may not have that flexibility always, meaning you might have just missed something. But normally, I, in my personal experience and the experience of most people, I'm sure that where there is upfront conversation and reasonable conversation and it's in advance of the thing, like m- nine times out of 10, there's a lot of understanding, a lot of support, a lot of, um, uh, you know, accommodation for that. I've always personally experienced that, you know, in employment contexts, in university, in, in different situations. Um, and whatever is said, you know, I, there's always, um, you know, whatever is said about the, uh, and I'm not saying obviously it doesn't occur, right? There is like anti-Muslim kind of prejudice and this and that and all of the things that, you know, are, are okay. And I know on campus, like there are certain universities, especially where students seem to have a, a particularly hard time, it seems sometimes. But, yeah. you know, the general picture, I think, is one of a lot of accommodation and freedom and tolerance and support anyway. Very, very positive. Uh, we have one more question from Rosa. Sure. What kind of evaluation question should we ask ourselves after each salah to make our next salah a better one? Yeah, nice question, mashallah. So, um, you know, so it reminds me, you know, when... Uh, it's amazing, isn't it, that the Prophet ﷺ, immediately after the prayer, his first words would be, Astaghfirullah, 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 right? Mm-hmm. That is yeah, so amazing display of humility. Like After each prayer, you know, even by the Prophet ﷺ, who had the best of prayers, that, yeah. you know, almost to say, I'm, I'm really sorry for that performance, basically, almost, right? Or, you know, to seek Allah's forgiveness for the deficiencies. So we'll always be deficient in some way. Our minds will yeah. come on here or there. And I think that is simply to to think about, um, you know, a couple of things in line with what we've been discussing. Were there, were there particular aspects or parts of it where, A, I felt I rushed a bit too much, um, I spoke a bit too quickly, uh, and, I, and I lost the sense of what I was saying, basically, right, in terms of the meaning. Meaning I rendered the, uh, uh, the words appropriately, perhaps, or, or uh, accurately, but my mind became disconnected from my tongue. Yeah, and, and the words that I was uttering. Um, so I think it's just worth reflecting on where that happened and why that took place. What was going on? Did and then to ask yourself, you know, prior to the beginning of the prayer, did I, did I, did I give that space just before I was about to begin to really get into the zone? And that's a really I can't overemphasize that kind of golden minute idea that we spoke of because you know if you were to think about plotting your level of concentration across a prayer, like you know, like and you know, if you were able to do that. There's going to be vol- some degree of volatility, right? Either a lesser amount or a greater amount for most of us through a prayer. But at least you see at the beginning, before you begin, you can really basically raise the starting point of that, of that uh, line, you know, you can get, sort of charge it up almost. And then at least then whatever volatility happens, it still happens hopefully at a generally higher state. Yeah. So I think to ask yourself that question. Um, and uh, yeah, so I think that those those are really the, the kind of the the, the specific um, the specific questions or evaluations I would uh, I would sure. ask, and, and don't be don't get down about it. Like I think that's the important thing as well. Like I think sometimes in these discussions, like on the one hand, yes, like we we will have said things, I will have said things that are deliberately designed to, you know, maybe shock you, wake you up a little bit, you know. Uh, you know, realize that, you know, subhanAllah, like it is possible that we have that most of it is possible that most of the prayers that we prayed by any reasonable standard are not like are just not acceptable. They wouldn't be acceptable. It is possible. That is possible. That's a possibility we have to consider. Yeah. yeah. But on the other hand, uh, even one good prayer, one uh, amazing prayer can put you in paradise, too. That's also the case, you yeah. see. So, 
you know, don't don't become down or depressed about where your situation is at or what your experience has been. If you feel, based on the discussion that we've had, that actually maybe it's not it's not you know where it should be. Just look forward positively, build up slowly, and each time just have that. Um, just just I suppose you what you want to feel after each salah is that I did tr- I tried my best. Yeah, you know if you feel that you tried your best, and if in between your prayers, like you rightly um, you know pointed out, Asim, like that you are slowly, slowly investing more time outside of the prayer to make the quality of your prayer better, because that's critical. You cannot make the quality of your prayer better if you don't spend any time outside of your prayer thinking about how you're going to do that, right? Like uh, I suppose like we're trying to do now. If you simply are relying on just turning up in salah and making a a, a better go at it without doing anything outside of your prayer that contributes to it, it's unlikely to yield much success, yeah? So I suppose just, you know, to to sort of uh, think about those things, yeah, as I said, don't feel down about it. Take it stage by stage, just... Each time, try and feel that you have done your uh, done your best. But you ask yourself those questions. You know, did I rush? Did I were there statements that I said that I really didn't mean? Maybe I should revise or think about. Okay, what is the meaning of that section again? How would I say it? One, uh, just the last point I'll mention here is that which I didn't mention explicitly earlier on is that I often recommend to people to say in English, assuming that's your first kind of uh, language, say the things that you say in prayer in English outside of your prayer. Say them to Allah and say them in a way that you really mean them. Because I don't, again, I don't think you, I don't think you're going to be able to do it in Arabic unless you've done it in English. And again, that might feel feel weird to people, right? But I'm saying to you, like, um, like we said earlier, the way we say Fatiha, if we were to translate it, it kind of all praise belongs to God, Lord exists, Lord of mercy, the giver of mercy, the master of day of judgment. You alone we serve, you alone we ask for help, guide us on the straight path, the path of those whom you've favoured, not those who've incurred your anger, nor those who've gone astray, maybe so. Yeah, that was the that's in English, right? That's the translation for Fatiha. That's actually like that's like what we're saying, and that's how we're often saying what we're saying. Yeah, definitely. Now, outside of your prayer, why don't you even practice to yourself? Right, you don't have to do it with anybody else. But literally, you're directly addressing Allah. All praise belongs to God, Lord of all that exists, the Lord of mercy, the Giver of mercy, Master of the Day of Judgment. You alone we serve, and you alone we ask for help. Please guide us on the straight path, the path of those whom you have favoured, not of those who have earned your anger, nor of those who have gone astray. Mm-hmm. Now, in English, that's a rendition that you might think, okay, or is like a more meaningful expression of those words. Yeah, I'm saying that if you can't do that in English, which is the language that you mostly think in, dream in, interact in, talk in, yeah, then you're never going to be able to do it in Arabic. Now, when you take it back to the Arabic, you know, and you, you think about how you would express the Arabic in a meaningful way, you're more likely to be able to do that. Yeah. yeah. And the pressure is going. And, and, and similarly with other, we've focused on Fatiha by way of example, but similarly on all of the other statements that we say. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a, something, a useful kind of exercise. Well, I think we'll have to um, end the session today, inshallah, ta'ala, on this word. Yeah. I think that um, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, um, reward everyone who has attended and has benefited from this. Oh, yeah. Um, it is a pillar of Islam. So this is a pillar of Islam. We discuss something so important. Uh, and uh, Brother Iqbal, Ustad Iqbal, may I reward you for you know giving us your valuable time to talk about something so important. Jazakallah um, uh, khair. I have nothing else to say really, but um, yeah, jazakallah khair. And inshallah, uh, for those of you that are uh, on social media, do look out for Roots Academy, inshallah, posting more webinars up to come, inshallah. Barakallah fikum, mahasir alaykum, subhanakum, bihamdik. ونشهد أن لا إله إلا أنت ونستغفرك ونتوب إليك السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته